Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at sidebarforever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. F9, the ninth installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, is in theaters now. And the question had to be asked, is it the greatest movie franchise of all time? Now, we don't think so, but with a worldwide box office gross of over $6 billion and sequels out the ass, the argument could be made. In our discussion, we try to unpack what makes the Fast and Furious franchise so appealing and seemingly resilient. How many times has this franchise reinvented itself since its initial release in 2001? And after 20 years, are fans coming back for the cast, the cars, the plots, or the outrageous set pieces? And lastly, what makes something a movie franchise versus just a series of sequels? I'm Adrian Johnson. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. And the Fast franchise is absolutely winning. But is it the greatest of all time? F9 is in theaters. Yes, it is. Well, let me ask you this. All right. Would you go see F9 if you could? Uh, if I could, I actually might. And I'm going to tell you why, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As um, listeners may know to the show, um, both Dwight and myself, we're, we're wrestling fans. You know what I'm saying? WWE fans. And so in this right. one, you got not only The Rock, which I think is probably making an appearance since he's, you know, I think Hobbs. Is he the Hobbs um, in the series? He, he He's the Hobbs in the series, but he is not in this movie. Oh, Oh, okay. Dang. Well, well we, <laughs> I was going somewhere with that. But instead, okay. we got another WWE star, John Cena. You can't see me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I might I might actually see it because I, I, I kind of like John Cena. You know, just his whole, you know, uh, personality, his persona. And as a wrestling fan, he, he's pretty entertaining. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But... That doesn't mean that I'm a fan of the franchise as a whole. I've not seen most of the franchise since Fast 2. Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just like, eh. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> yeah. And, and oddly enough, so F9 is in theaters now. Uh, came out June 25th. Yeah. Um, there is no Hobbs. There's no Shaw. There's no uh, Deckard Shaw. Uh, just Dom and Letty and Roman and Tez. Cypher, who is the uh, Charlize Theron villain, she comes back. Okay. And Mia is back. Oh. Yeah. Mia Toretto is back. Uh, and then, of course, John Cena as, uh, as uh, Dom's brother, Jacob. Oh, brother Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> but... To your point, as far as the 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 movies that you've seen in the uh, in the franchise, Justin Lin is back directing F Nine. Oh, okay, okay. And so Justin Lin has directed five of these movies. Dang. I mean, yeah, he's he's kind of like the, the the main guy. I mean, really, I guess when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah. So he's back as the uh, as the director of F Nine. I think he did Tokyo Drift. Mm. Fast Five, I think he did f whatever Fast Seven was. Yeah, um, he did. He did. He did quite a few of them. But dude, this franchise has made over six billion dollars. What? It's over six billion dollars, which you know, in terms of any kind of conversation about it being the greatest movie franchise of all time, mm -hmm. you know, if, if the box office has anything to say about it, then you could certainly make that argument. Oh man. Mm. Um, and if and really, you know, the fact that it has sequels, you know, multiple, multiple sequels and, and now an offshoot with, you know, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. You know, you you could definitely make the uh, make the argument there. But let's start, I guess, by asking what makes something a franchise versus simply a series of sequels? Because 
I'm not exactly sure if I know what the difference is, but it feels to me, you know, my gut tells me that there's a difference. Have you given that any consideration? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, a franchise is obviously something that continues. There's a continuous thread or threads that, you know, start weaving themselves through, you know, each subsequent sequel. You know, and the difference mm -hmm. is, is that the sequel is a whole brand new story that may actually take uh, one or two of the characters or whatever to a whole different scenario while still retaining mm -hmm. certain kernels of what made that previous movie successful. But in the case of like uh, the Fast and Furious series and other franchises, it's taking those mm -hmm. same characters you know, and building upon them, build, building upon characterization, building upon, you know, just other threads and strengthening them, hopefully, so that mm -hmm. you're so familiar with them, you know exactly how they're going to react to a situation. You know what I'm saying? But if they don't, you're wondering, well, why? You know what I'm saying? What is being built upon okay. to make them not act that way? Or what is it different? But at the end of each movie, they, the character comes back to what it was to almost reset for the next movie, if there is one. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so so then here's the thing. So with the Fast and Furious as a franchise, you know, as it relates to what you just said, one, all the characters don't appear in every movie. Mm. Like in some, in, in what, in Tokyo Drift, none of the original characters are in that, right? It's just Bow Wow and... <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think I think Vin Diesel makes an appearance like at the very end, like like at the end, at the end, he does. Yeah. yeah, at the end, he shows up. But that's one thing, too. Um, so if that's the case, then are the Terminator movies in all of their Frankensteinian you know, cobbled together, different takes, different, you know, is that, is that a franchise? Oh, I do. Because, because see, here's the thing. Yeah. In the, if, if you're looking at the Terminator as a franchise, yeah. so you've got to have Terminators. That's, that's, a different, that's, right? that's job one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to have time travel of some kind. Yes. You've got to have some level of science fiction. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's got to be some kind of a chase between the Terminator and a target. Right. But do you have to have Sarah Connor and or John Connor hmm. for it to be to feel like the franchise? As a longtime Terminator fan, you do. Yeah. But then you look at something like Terminator Salvation, which takes place in the future war that's occurring. Right. John Connor's, right, John right. Connor's there, but then you have a whole brand mm -hmm. new cast of characters and this future Terminator now, and <laughs> to his detriment, the T-800 does show up, Arnold does show up, and that's what I flipped it off. I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> that's a <laughs> right. bullshit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah but, yeah, but it does not have the time travel element in it. I think they're trying to destroy the machine that enables the time travel so that way if okay. they destroy it then the t-800 won't be able to go back to 1984 to hunt down sarah connor that's the only reason john connor is there you know what i'm saying so even if that is still trying to explain why they can't why they're not doing the time travel in that movie you know but everything gotcha. else yes you know everything's there arnold comes back you know and everything else you know, in addition to that, you know, but do you need Sarah Connor and John Connor? To me, I think you do. Or as I've heard with the latest movie, there, there are new characters that kind of fit those roles. So the new one, uh, Dark Fate, uh, Sarah Connor's in it. Oh, that's right. She's, that's like right. A, word, a, word. she's like a 60 year old badass at this point. Yeah. Um, and then Arnold shows up like 45 maybe 50 minutes into the movie Damn. like like literally uh, anyway <laughs> so i guess i'm asking that question because okay so let's say star wars as a quote franchise yeah and it is oftentimes star wars is more referenced as sequels and prequels mm -hmm. than it is 
as a franchise. But, you know, as Star Wars, if it's part of the, the, the feature film franchise universe, you got to have space. Oh, of course, of course. You, you got to have lightsabers? Yes, of course, yes. Okay, you got to have the Skywalker family? Yes. Okay, do you have to have, like, uh, X-Wings and, uh, and TIE Fighters? They, they will make an appearance in some way, some form, yes. Okay, Stormtroopers? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of another franchise, quote franchise. Okay, Mission Impossible. Okay. Which you've, you've seen, have you seen any of those? I've seen up to number three. Okay, okay. So we got to have Ethan Hunt. Yes, that's a, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got we to have um, MI6. Is that who they work for? I can't even remember. Oh, no, it's the IMF. IMF, the IMF. You got to have the IMF. Yes. Impossible, impossible Mission Franchise? <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> um, some kind of a team, either large or small. Yes. Um, gadgets and masks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get to with all of this is, is like, what makes the franchise smell like the franchise, taste like the franchise, look like the franchise, feel like the franchise to the viewer? Because I remember when Tokyo Drift came out, yeah. that was the big criticism is that it did not feel like the Fast and Furious movies, you know, even even less than Too Fast, Too Furious did with, you know, with Vin Diesel's character not being in the film. But then they bring in Roman, uh, you know, uh, Tyrese Gibson. And then uh, uh, what is uh, what is Ludacris's real name? Chris Bridges, yes, Chris, Chris Bridges. Bridges, Chris Bridges as as Tej. And and then they bring in like a, a bad guy. Yes. You know, uh, Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser, yes. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I guess what makes it, you know, feel and taste and smell and sound like the franchise in order for it to work? The three, there, there's three elements. There's three elements. Every franchise has to have whatever three of its strongest elements are. They must be present. They must be present. Okay. Even if you have an okay. character take over that role. Like, for instance, in the uh, Fast and Furious franchise, all right? We start off with the first mm-hmm. one that inters- that introduces you to these characters, okay? The main two being Vin Diesel, you know, um, and uh, Paul Walker. Dominic Toretto. Exactly, Dominic right. Toretto. And, and the snowman, Brian. Brian. <laughs> 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 like he yucked Jeezy or something, but. <laughs> but Ooh, yeah. so I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh. <laughs> But even when uh, Dominic Toretto is not in Too Fast, Too Furious, you still have one of those elements there in Paul Walker. And you still have the cars, you know, the crazy customized cars and whatnot. And you still mm-hmm. have the racing. Like, even in Too Fast, Too Furious, there is no reason for them to be racing cars, and they still had to fit that in. Well, we got to race these yeah. other guys in order to get you know, on with Cole Hauser so that he'll believe us as drivers or whatnot. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you still have to fit in the car racing, those cars, and uh, Paul Walker's character, you know? And then you go to Tokyo Drift where it still has the cars. It still has the racing. But it does not have either of the two lead protagonists. You know what I'm saying? Except for at the very end where Vin Diesel comes. So... It still has those three elements because he shows up, you know, and I think with franchises overall, you have to have at least three elements that are going to be present in every movie. And just like, okay, go ahead. No, no, you good. You finish it. Finish yourself. I was going to say, just like franchises in the real world, you know, outside of movies, McDonald's is known for what? Burgers and fries and shakes. All right. No matter where you go, it's going to taste the same. No matter who franchises it, who takes over their respective stores, that's going to be that because you have those elements that are always going to be in place no matter where you go. Such as it is with movie franchises. You have to have three elements at least that are going to be present in every movie. Things may change as far as the plot or whatnot. The cast might even change somewhat. 
But you have to have those three things to be the glue that hold that franchise together. Okay, so that's kind of what I was going to get to is, is it almost sounds like what we're talking about is branding. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, how is this perceived in the universe? And we make sure we we satisfy those elements. Mm -hmm. So like what you were talking about with McDonald's, let's be specific. You got to have Big Macs. Right. You got to have them great ass fries with a little bit of salt on them. You got to have milkshakes. Or, you know, and now, you know, you could expand that, of course, to like quarter pounders and with just cheeseburgers and and also, um, you know, apple pies yeah. and, and McFlurries and all that kind of stuff. But Big Macs and French fries and shakes, that's what it is. And you get it in a paper bag and you can't hardly get it home without reaching in the bag and grabbing <laughs> a few fries. Yeah. You know, same thing with KFC, uh, same thing with Burger King, yeah. with Wendy's, with Chick-fil-A, with pizza hut with what have you doesn't matter if you're in atlanta if you're in tokyo if you're in uh you know somewhere in 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 west africa if you're in london if you're wherever you are the big mac should taste the same it should feel the same you know if i if i go to a a mcdonald's um in scotland in glasgow and they got some kind of weird Big Mac that doesn't have the Thousand Island dressing on it. I'm going to be ticked off, man. <laughs> Royale with cheese. You know what I mean? <laughs> Royale with cheese. There we go. So mm. it, it definitely sounds like like branding is the thing. Yeah. And, um, okay, so here's the other thing then. Okay. Um, how many movies do you have to have in a franchise in order for it to be considered a franchise and to move beyond just sequel and then another sequel three I, I, I can tell you right off it has to be three or more gotta be three because if you have just two that's just well the first one was successful enough let's try to make it again and make right. money but if you have right. a third right, right, right. now there's a pattern you know what i'm saying now you've established okay. this is what it's going to be every single movie you know so you gotta have three in order to cement it as a at least a possibility for a franchise Okay, so I will challenge that and say it has to go beyond three. Okay, so not just that three. It got to go beyond. Okay. It's got to be more than three for it to be a franchise. Here's why I say that. All right. So you have the original movie of anything. Yeah. Then you, if they do another one, it's the sequel. Yeah. Then the third one we call the threequel. Yeah. We don't have a name for the fourth one. That's to me when it enters franchise uh, territory. Good point. Okay. That's I feel that's you. when it enters franchise territory. So, you know, you had the first Mission Impossible yeah. um, that uh, De Palma directed. The second one that was directed by John Woo. Yeah. The third one that was directed by J.J. Abrams. And then by the time we get to the fourth one that Brad Bird did, we knew what to expect. And it had to feel a certain way in order to be a Mission Impossible movie. And and not unlike the Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. and I didn't think about this until we were just talking just now, the Mission Impossible movies do kind of what the Fast and Furious does, and we'll touch on it a bit more later, okay. in that it kind of keeps those core elements, but you get a different kind of Mission Impossible movie as it's going on. It hasn't quite reinvented itself, per se, but like the first one was like espionage, almost like the TV show. Yes. The second one was really more like a John Woo movie. Mm. It was really just his take on Mission Impossible. The third one was a J.J. Abrams movie. It was what he was doing with Alias mm. and what he did with uh, with um, uh, Angel. Uh, he had he had I some other. other I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he had another one. Yeah, it was what he did in television, but he just brought it to a feature film. Yeah, and then Brad Bird. That was Brad Bird's first uh, feature directorial you know other than i you know before iron giant and uh and the incredible yeah so and I, I guess the credit kind of giving credit to where it's due to tom cruise oh yes in that he puts himself in the hands of these directors and lets them kind of do their thing with his franchise mm-hmm. you know what i mean you know like they he kind of lets them kind of tell their kind of ethan hunt story with this particular movie. Now he's had a great amount of success, more success uh, with the last two with, uh, with uh, McQuarrie, you know, the writer and director of 
I think right Macquarie wrote Ghost Protocol. Okay, okay. And then he wrote and directed uh, Rogue Nation, and then he wrote and directed Fallout, the last one. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So he's had a lot of success with Macquarie, and I think Macquarie is doing the uh, the new one that they, you know, they've been shooting since uh, since COVID started. So anyway, I say all that to say I think it's four. I think once you get to four. You're talking about like some Bulls championship, like multiple rings, some Tom Brady, you know, uh, <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet, the five stuff. You know what I'm saying? You're getting into that kind of territory. And um, anyway, but another question I would ask is this. Because yeah. you were saying like three movies. Yeah. You know, that was your, your, original, your original premise. Yeah. So are Hunger Games... And the Lord of the Ring movies considered a franchise, or would they just be trilogies? Just trilogies, because they stop at that third. You, you know, okay, okay, all right, all right, Mr. Prosecutor, okay, you know, prosecuted your <laughs> point, all right, <laughs> all right, goddammit. <laughs> well, and then also too, you know, like those are based on, um, you know, the Fast and, Fast and Furious, Terminator, Mission Impossible. You know, even Star Wars, you know, those are all original IPs. Yeah. You know, the Lord of the Rings and Hunger Games are based on uh, previously existing IPs that are being adapted. Yeah. Uh, so so with that, you know. You know, you really, you know, as far as the Lord of the Rings is concerned, you really were only talking about, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring and the re Return of uh, the King the, uh, the, and the Two Tower or yeah. whatever, and then Return. Yeah, you were just talking about you were just talking about those works being adapted, and that's it. Same thing with uh, with Hunger Games. You know, it was uh, you know the first one, and then uh, the Sparrow or whatever it was. You know, whatever they were. So. <laughs> You know what else? Go ahead. Is, but, but to further prove your point, man, I was thinking of, in my head, I was thinking of like the Rambo movies, all right? Like mm -hmm. I was thinking, I grew up on, as we did of our generation, you know, Rambo, mm -hmm. you know, obviously First Blood, First Blood Part Two, and then Rambo Three. And within that, though, by the time it got to the third, that, that, was, a, um, that was an example where it felt like a franchise. Uh, and I think because of the humongous success of part two so when part three came mm -hmm. it has the same exact formula as part two you know right and and it almost felt like yeah th those three movies in and of themselves became a franchise but then years later a decade more or more later you have just rambo the fourth movie right which totally right. just <laughs> it, it, it turned Rambo into like he looked like you know Jason Voorhees like it was all bloody yes. and serial killery and just ah yeah. and then this last yeah. one last blood you know last blood and so it's just like eh, eh. but speaking of Stallone though you know another franchise too would be like the Rocky movies you know right right Definitely. right 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 and again to your point they expanded beyond. Those three movies, you know what I'm saying? And it became a franchise. Mm -hmm. After number four, exactly what you're saying, you knew what to expect from a Rocky movie. No matter how much right. they changed the plot a little bit, like Rocky Five, he goes back to the streets. Well, he still has to fight, you know, this other guy, even if it is in the streets. You know, he still has the yeah. human interest stuff with his family and whatnot, you know. And so it's, it's just funny how you're exactly right you know how much i think you've established a rule for franchises it's got to be beyond three movies for sure and i guess the other thing too is is, is leading into other franchises quote franchises like you mentioned rocky um like we were talking about hunger games and lord of the rings like the harry potter movies those are adapted from previously established ips but it is is it kind of considered a franchise or is it just a series of films that are all kind of interconnected with these same characters with, you know, uh, Hermione and Harry and Ron and, you know, you know, and S snake or snake or whatever his name is. All, you know, all these characters. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My, my, my youngest daughter is a huge, huge, huge Harry Potter fan. Oh man. She loves them. Okay. And she loves the movies even more than the books. And it's funny. It's like one of those that kind of rides the line. <sighs> 
it has a finite ending as far as this is how much the material is, you know, just like all those other previous adaptations of other IPs. It ends right. here. Rowling wrote the books to this point. That's it. There's not going to be another Harry Potter without her writing it, you know, first right. to be adapted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think that marks a major difference. Franchises can kind of go off script, so to speak, no pun intended, you know, and do other stories with these characters that don't involve the actual source material. But just as long as certain elements are there and present, it's still a viable part of being a franchise. But I think that's a marked difference. Yeah. So I wonder then, like in terms of Rowling's control of the IP, can the studio make Harry Potter related films and or television shows or whatever? Because aren't they developing? Are they developing? Was it Harry Potter? No, no, no. It's, it's the Lord of the Rings that they're actually developing something, an IP for TV or whatever. But I'm just wondering, can they do something Harry Potter related without her approval, without her, her co-signing? I don't think so, because even from what my youngest daughter tells me, she's the Potter expert. You know, even stuff like, <laughs> <laughs> even stuff like Fantastic Beast, you know, which is tangentially yeah. related, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still yeah. within that universe, and Rowling had her hands in that. But it's not like the studio can just get some other writer and come in and say, all right, just take the Golden Trilogy, you know, uh, Trinity, I should say. My daughter's going to kill me. The golden trinity <laughs> of Harry, uh, Ron, and Hermione. And write a separate new story with them. And mm-hmm. don't consult Rowling. You know what I'm saying? Unless Rowling gives her blessings and say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it. But then you run the danger of invalidating some of what's gone before in the franchise. You know what I mean? So I okay. think that's why she okay. keeps control of it, you know, so fiercely, you know? Okay. Okay. So this takes, brings me to another question. Hmm. And this is one that, I, uh, that really bothers me as it relates to trying to nail down a franchise and what it means. And, and, and as it relates to the conversation of Fast and Furious possibly being the, quote, greatest of all time okay. is this. If a series of films or a franchise is rebooted, is it still a part of the same franchise? So, for instance, okay. you, you mentioned the Rocky films. Yeah. Creed comes along a few years ago. It's got Rocky elements to it, and Rocky's in it. Yeah. But is it really a part of the Rocky franchise, so to speak? Mm. That's one. Uh-huh. Um, another example would be Planet of the Apes. Ah, okay. They've done so many different versions of that that have nothing to do with astronauts going to the future or, you know, or what, you know none, of, none of that horse shit that we got, you know, not horse shit, but, you know, the stuff from the original film <laughs> yeah. that kind of made them what they were. And let's not forget that they did like four Planet of the Apes films starting back in the 70s, you know, with the original with Charlton Heston. That's right. You're right. You're right. That's, bef- that's before Mark Wahlberg and Tom, uh, Tim Burton... That's before the Planet of the Apes movies that came here recently with, you know, that what uh, 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 James Franco, James Franco and, and whatever. And they've done like two or th- maybe three of those. They have. It's three. Yeah. So it's been rebooted. Same thing with the Spider-Man films. Mm. Are all those Spider-Man films considered a franchise or just a sequence of films because they've been rebooted three times in the last dozen years? Same thing now happening modern day in current real time with Batman, mm-hmm. where you had the Tim Burton Batman movies from the eighties, yeah. and you know the other people who who did it. Then you have the Batman movies that Nolan did yeah. in the early two thousands. Then you have now they're doing another series of Batman movies, at least starting with the one uh, directed by Matt Reeves with Robert Pattinson playing Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Are all those a quote franchise, or are all those just takes on a character and Matt Reeves is trying to start his own franchise as maybe Nolan did with his three films. Although, you know, we, we established that three doesn't quite make it a franchise. Right. Uh, and Batman, the original Batman in the eighties, were there three of those or four of those? Three of those, right? No, it's four of those. Cause it ended with Batman and Robin. Yeah. 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 So you had the two with Tim Burton. I mean, the two with Michael Keaton, then you had 
Val Kilmer comes along, and then Clooney comes along. And then that's it. And then that's it. Yeah. So, but there were at least two with Keaton. So we're talking about four movies. Yeah. So they were, you know, four. Yes, yeah, so you're right. So you see what I'm saying? When you reboot it, does it take on a new DNA? Is it like, you know, it's been adopted by a new parent and now it has a new last name <laughs> and it doesn't live over on any point anymore. <laughs> now we live in Dunwoody. <laughs> Well, we'll shop at Big Star no more. We'll shop over there no more. We shop at Publix. <laughs> Big Star. Oh, man, he heard that in a minute. Yeah, wow. Yeah. We, don't wear, we don't wear pro cads anymore. Yeah, we wear Nikes and Adidas, you know. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. That's a that's an interesting point that you posited, man, because those movies do feel like, especially the superhero examples that you mentioned with Spider-Man and Batman, those do feel like just separate series of films not necessarily mm-hmm. franchises, not in the way that like, you know, the Marvel, the MCU, they've built mm-hmm. numerous franchises, even though the Iron Man films have come up to just three. There's only been. Right. Well, no, no, no. I was, I'm sorry. There's been more of the Avengers movies for sure. Um, but those feel like franchises, though, because those characters appear in other movies within that universe. So it's almost right. as if you could almost expand it to, even though there's different movies within that universe, the whole universe in and of itself is the franchise. You know what I'm saying? See, that that's what I would say for sure as far as the Marvel Universe, cinematic universe is concerned. Yeah. Is because none of the solo movies have gone past three, if I'm not mistaken. Thor's only had three. Yeah. Captain America's had three. Right. Iron Man had three. Yeah. You know, and then Spider-Man, as it relates to Fox slash Marvel, that's when you get into, okay, well, they actually did more than that, uh, so to speak. Um, But that's really it, you know. Um, And so the so the Marvel Studios-ness of it actually makes it feel like a franchise as opposed to just specific characters or a specific overarching story Mm -hmm. or whatever. In other words, it smells, tastes, feels, sounds like Marvel, then it's part of the franchise, uh, whatever that means. And actually, you know, the the definition of franchise, I looked it up, is, is a series of related works such as novels or films, each of which includes the same characters or different characters that are understood to exist and interact in the same fictional universe with characters from other works. Mm-hmm. So this definition sounds tailor-made for what you're describing there, where Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is a Grand Canyon-sized franchise that has many tentacles and many branches um, you know, coming off of it. I, had, I, I just had a thought. I just had a thought. You know, I was watching something interesting on YouTube, and I didn't realize this until this particular uh, commentator you know, brought it up. Um, do, you, mm-hmm. do you remember a couple years ago, um, Tom Cruise starred in a remake of The Mummy? Yes. Okay. Yes. I didn't know this, and because that version of The Mummy did so poorly at the box office and didn't catch on, uh, mm-hmm. Universal ended it right there. But Universal was actually trying to do, they were trying to use that as the launch of a brand new franchise as far as finding a way to bring those universal monsters back together in something called, I think, the the dark universe or something like that. You can look it up. Um, universal okay. was okay. like, let's find a way to reintroduce the universal monsters within their own, you know, universe, so to speak. And it was supposed to be the dark universe. And they started laying, pl- um, laying eggs for it, so to speak, uh, not unlike the movie, but <laughs> but, but even in the mummy, uh, Russell Crowe shows up as Dr. Jekyll, if I'm not mistaken. So they're like, ah, yeah, so we'll put that in there because we're going to definitely do a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde spinoff, you know, and other things right. like that. But. It, it failed the launch because the movie just did so poorly. And Tom Cruise was yeah. trying to get another franchise up. He's like, man, I got this. I got M.I. I got Mission Impossible. Let me see, man, I could do this. Yeah. No, yeah. bro, yeah. you better stick to jumping off them buildings, dog. Holding on to them planes, <laughs> bro. Man, no, bro. So, yeah. yeah. So it's funny when you're trying to do that 
and it just doesn't take off. Like, you know, it's almost as if you can't, you can consciously say, I'm going to make a franchise, but it's got to survive more than three movies. So it's almost like you got to make those three movies good enough so that it survives past that. It's like it's got to survive childhood, then adolescence, then it's got to grow up, go to college, mm-hmm. and then once mm-hmm. it gets to college and out on its own, ah, okay, now it's a franchise. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree, and I didn't realize that they were trying to do kind of like the, the dark universe or whatever with those mummy films, and and the, you know, although that's a good idea to, to, to some extent, it's almost like... Um, you know the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen taking these, you know these uh, these monster archetypes that you know that we know from the old black and white yeah. films, and then bringing them all into uh, into modern day as like you're saying, and where they where their paths interact, you know, in history, you know, so the Frankenstein monster, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, Dracula, the, wolf, man. Uh, the mummy, yeah, yeah, w- what have you. Um, I think yeah, that's that's actually that's actually a, a pretty interesting idea. So. As it relates to what Universal was attempting to do with the Mummy, and what you described with the MCU as being its own franchise, this is the thing I kind of wonder as well. Okay. Um, so, writer director Edgar Wright has a very specific voice, a very spe- specific directorial style, and he tends to work on. I I, f- I, fig- I feel like Edgar Wright in a way is like Quentin Tarantino, where he is his own genre. Mm, okay, okay. It doesn't matter if he's doing a monster zombie movie, if he's doing a cop, uh, a take on, you know, 80s cops or 90s, you know, action films. Whatever it is, he is his own genre. Tarantino is his own genre. If he's doing a Western, if he's doing crime fiction, if he's doing whatever the hell he's doing, it's really a Tarantino thing that you're buying into as opposed to the, you know, the subgenre itself. Yeah. So... I wonder, like with Edgar Wright's work with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, because they've done three, maybe four movies together. Mm-hmm. I think it's four. Is that an example of a director's franchise? Because to an extent, you almost feel like the characters in Shaun of the Dead and in Hot Fuzz and uh, The End of the World or whatever it was, they're all kind of the same. You know what I mean? And, and 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 I'll expand that to say again, the Edgar Wright franchise. In the same way as uh John Singleton had with his movies where he had a specific kind of movie he wanted to tell uh about where he grew up in 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 southern Los Angeles. So it started with Boys in the Hood and then went to Poetic Justice and then went to Baby Boy. And they all kind of feel interconnected even though none of the characters are the same. Yeah. In those three films. Same thing with Kevin Smith in New Jersey with Clerks and then Chasing Amy and all those all the films that he's done where he's he's telling is he is he his own creating his own franchise within by doing a universe or telling stories within a universe that he wants to tell. Does that feel like a franchise? Damn that man. God damn. You come with some hits, man. That is a great just, point. <laughs> That is a great point. I never considered that. Yeah, I, I think I think in a way you're absolutely right, man. And if you want to talk about Tarantino, I mean, he's put you know things in each of his films to connect them. You know, certain characters will reference even from other mm-hmm. films he didn't direct will reference Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. in Reservoir Dogs. You know, Harvey Cotell mentions work with Alabama. You know, in all mm-hmm. in a few of his films, Red Apple Cigarettes. Bid Kahuna Burger, mm-hmm. you know things uh-huh. like that. They kind of the Vega, the Vega brothers. And, yeah, the, yeah, uh, Vegas. Yeah. So it's funny how he kind of created his own Tarantino verse, and all of his movies feel the same, as though mm-hmm. those characters could ostensibly run into each other, and it would fit because they're all from that same mind. You know what I mean? You know, an, right. another one I would mention is somebody like uh, like a Wes Anderson. Where all of his movies have that same feel. You know it's a right, Wes Anderson right. movie. You know it is. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Even down to the way he, you know, does composition of his scenes of Wet Night and just the whole mm-hmm. mood of the film, it's a Wes Anderson universe. You know what I'm saying? 
So to your point, I definitely think that there's a case to be made for a director, you know, creating or crafting his own franchise, so to speak, just based on the consistent elements that he puts into his or her, uh, into their own um, productions, you know, even if it is from movie to movie to movie. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think to a lesser degree, um, Spike Jones, mm. I've seen several of his films. They all kind of feel similar. They feel connected in a way, uh, maybe unintentionally. So he, he might say differently. And then also uh, uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, the writer-director of Lady Bird, and then she just did an adaptation of uh, Little Women. Hmm, okay. And Lady Bird and Little Women feel weirdly connected, even though obviously Little Women is, is a period piece. Yeah. But it feels connected. You know, I, I get definitely have a sense of her voice and, and, um, and you know, and, and choices with camera movements and characterization and the kind of stories that she wants to tell, specifically as it relates to uh, women protagonists and women heroes in you know as in the center of the of the, of the story yeah uh, that would be another one um, in our in our text exchange about this conversation I asked the question because because uh, Dwight was on that with us and he mentioned the bond series oh, uh. is the bond series of films a franchise or is it a series of films because he's really the only consistent thread throughout the entire thing. I mean, you know, you have him and you have, Money you know, Penny some and, of the, yeah. yeah, you have that, but essentially it's him and none of those movies are connected. So in the Fast and Furious, you know, you're going to have uh, later on where Dom gets back in with the gang and they're going to reference, there's a reference of the history they have together going back to the first film or there is a reference to in Fast Five, which I think is the best of the Fast Fast and Furious movies. Mm. In Fast Five, they're on the run in Brazil, and they reference, "Hey, we've been running. You know, we, you know, me and Mia, you know, we're, you know, out of money. You know, we've been a couple for whatever. whatever. You know, Mia's pregnant. She's going to have this baby. You know, uh, you know, I, I've lost. You know, Mia references. You know, I've I've lost you. You know, uh, before I'm not going to let you lose you again. You got to stay with us. You know, they reference." That history. But in the Bond films, there's never a reference to Goldfinger or, you know, to Drax or, you know, Moonray. There's never any references to anything else, really. I mean, if it is, it's just vague. It's just mostly this movie and what's going on in this film, that movie and what's going on in that film. You're right. Yeah, you just shot down my point because I was going to say, <laughs> and um, the one case I could think of with that is... Uh, the character of Blofeld um, is referenced in a couple of the Bond movies, the Sean Connery um, Bond movies, in fact. I uh, know, in fact, three of them. Um, you Only Live Twice, uh, where they're in the volcano in Japan, and Blofeld mm -hmm. is ostensibly killed. And then, in Diamonds Are Forever, Blofeld comes back, but he's had plastic surgery to remake himself, you know. Mm -hmm. But also in the third in a third one that doesn't have Sean Connery in it. It's that one that has George Lazenby. Um God, what is the name of it? On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. Lowfeld yeah, is in that one that. as Telly Savalis. And <laughs> <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no dumb dumbs, no lollipops in this one. But uh, <laughs> but Blofeld is in that one. And then beyond that. None of the villains ever show up again. They're done with finitely and at the conclusion of each of those respective films, you know, and right. they are not meant to be mentioned ever again. It's like that was a that was a book. And now that book is on the shelf. Let's start a new book. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to describe it, where it's like, OK, you have a bookshelf in your in your expansive library in your home. And on this one shelf, you've got a dozen or 16 or whatever novels written by Ian Fleming. And it's like you said, when you're done with it, you close it, you take the bookmark out, you put it back in its place, and that's it. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, then you, and then you start the next one and then continue on from there. I, you know, I do feel like, as it relates to what we were describing earlier about the seeing and the smelling and the hearing and the tasting, that the Bond movies do have to have key things to feel like a bond movie like 
no matter who's playing Bond, whether you're talking about Sean Connery to Roger Moore to Lazenby to Dalton to um, Bros- Brosnan, Bros- Pierce Brosnan to and then on to Daniel Craig, you know you got to have Bond. He's got to have he's got to look good in a suit. He's got to be drinking a martini, shaking not stirred. Right. You know he's got to be macking on the ladies. He's got to have a gadget, although the gadgets have been minimized in the in the Craig you know the Craig Bond era. He's got to have his support team, but they, you know, they've got to be a bit in the distance. Yeah. You know, it's got to be, feel like one lone man kind of doing it all out there in the field. Um, and then he's got to have a fierce, formidable opponent. If he does, if you don't have that, someone for him to square off with that feels like, okay, if he makes one false move, he's he dead. can get his cat peeled. Yeah. Then yeah, then that you gotta have that. So for that, it does to me feel franchisey, but or franchises, if you will. <laughs> but I have always considered them to be just a series of films mm. in a series of films. For whatever reason, I don't know why I have to make that distinction, but I guess I, you know, now, now, just kind of do. But now, do you feel like even with the recent, because you could almost call the Craig movies a a reboot of the Bond movies. You know, right. And I think in the the newest ones, there is some semblance of a continuity there, you know, because I think in Skyfall, you know, M is M is killed. And because of that, that sets him off in the next one. So he's referencing back to, you know, M's gone now. Now he's just this lone wolf, so to speak. And he's just, you know, on whatever mission or whatever, whatever path he's on because of what happened in the previous movie, you know? No, you're right. You're right. And I did see, if, if I'm not getting them confused, Skyfall is the one with, uh, um, who's the, I forgot the actor's name who played, uh, Javier Bardem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he plays the, uh, the, the antagonist. He plays Bond p- opponent and M is killed at the end of the movie. But, I think you're right, and I think that that was a tact that they took the uh, the producers and writers of the of the films, and the broccoli family, I guess, in this new reboot or relaunch. And I guess all of them, to some extent, were relaunch. Although the Connery films and the Roger Moore films and the Dalton films and the uh, Lazenby films all feel kind of the sim- similar. Right. They all owe to that '60s, late '60s aesthetic. It's only when Brosnan comes in in the 90s where it starts to feel a little more different and, and there is more of a serious reference to, you know, Bond being a dinosaur and being, a mm. you know, leftover from, you know, Cold War aesthetics and that's, you know, Cold War mentality. Yeah. And then you get to Daniel Craig. And I think that Daniel Craig Bond, if I, if I had to guess, and I've not read anything, you know, I'm sure there are more smarter people than us who have discussed it. Sure. I think they took their cues from Mission Impossible where they said, okay, having your main spy want to have a life and have a life and then have that be taken away from him. So um, Bond doesn't have a wife and he doesn't have like a, you know, a long-term partner, romantic partner, but he has Money Penny. He has M. He has these figures in his life that have gone on and on and on. And so to start attacking those relationships, because that's what happens in the Mission Impossible movies. You know, Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, wants to get married and then that goes to shit. And so he sends his wife off into like, you know, witness protection, Witsack or something. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, and she just appears back in, you know, here and there. And her last appearance was in the last film, Fallout. So I do think they probably took that cue from him. But but to finish it up, man, um, examples of movie franchises, we discussed Mission Impossible, Star Wars, Harry Potter. Mm. The X the X Men films, there have been more than three. Yes, yeah, yeah, and th- but they've all kind of yep. they're all kind of wacky and yeah, yeah the story's all fucked up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Jurassic Park films, that's true. There have been more than three. That's a franchise. Yep. That's a franchise. Yeah, the Rocky films, which we talked about, Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, okay, they, yeah, they, they, and they're all done connected. four of those. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and they're all connected. Um, and then even going back in time a bit, the um, the Bowery Boys movie back, back in the in the in the thirties, yo. So, so you have it started out as the Dead End Kids, yeah. 
Then it was Tough Little Guys. Yeah. Essentially all the same characters, but they called them something different. Then the East Side Kids. That's right, yeah. And then we eventually land on the Bowery Boys. Yeah. You know, so... Um, and it was one thing, too. That one of the main characters in the Bowery Boys was a character called Slap Mahoney. Yeah. <laughs> Slap. Played by an actor named uh, Leo Gorsi. Leo Gorsi, yes. He was the main guy. Okay. Yeah. So... Whenever I would see those movies, you know, I saw those movies when I was a kid, like Summer's Going to Chicago to visit my father when my parents split. So I remember watching those old movies and just loving them. It's like, wow, you know, hey, here he comes. Let's give him the wakes. Yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know don't cut me, Mick. Don't cut me. It's the market is sweet. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I remember seeing Leo Gorsi, you know, and it's in the 30s and it's black and white. And so later on, when I became a fan of Jack Kirby yeah, and started reading about him growing up as a kid on the Lower East Side, you know, before he went into the army. And then you see pictures of him as a younger man. and It's in black and white. And he always looked like Leo Gorsi to me <laughs> from those films. So in my mind, I'm like, OK, this is how Kirby grew up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was thinking, you know, like Gorsi felt like Kirby to me because they looked a little bit alike. And I was like, damn, you know. This is how Jack grew up before he went to the army and then eventually became, you know, the king of comics. And, so and, and that might be an inspiration as well for the Yancey Street gang, you know. So right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then also, too, and this is this is the worst example, okay. but uh, uh, -oh. uh, the Charlie Chan movies. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, if we want to give the crown to the Fast and the Furious or whomever, we can do that. Uh huh. But can't nobody fuck with Charlie Chan in these feature films? <laughs> Charlie Chan has been featured in over, I think, fifty feature films starting in 1926. What? There have been fifty feature films. Based on the Charlie Chan character, two thirds of which had his name in the title. Right. What? Damn, I yes. know that many. Damn. They were ex immensely popular, apparently, because they wouldn't have done this if it weren't if they weren't popular. And they just kept doing them and kept doing them and kept doing them. And I don't know if it was the same actor playing Charlie Chan. I know it was a white dude mm -hmm. uh, with you know with uh, makeup on to appear uh, Asian and speaking with an affectation. But there were 50 of those fuckers, yo. Dang. And I was like, wow. So if the sequels, if the length of the tale of the beast is any indicator of the beast, them Charlie Chan movies, they were the beast, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, were, they were the one. But the last question is, of course, what is the greatest franchise of all time? Ah, see, I knew he was going to say that. If, <sighs> if, if, it's not, if it's not Fast and Furious, what is the greatest one? <sighs> My gut really wants to say, and even though I don't even like all the movies, you know, my gut really wants to say Star Wars, you know, just in terms of uh, its cultural impact, you know, just in pop culture, period. But also it mm -hmm. has made a lot of money. I don't know if it's made more than the Fast and Furious franchise, but oh, it has. Oh, OK. OK. It has. Uh, there's a list, and I think it, it is higher on the list than uh, Fast and Furious. I think Fast and Furious is like five or number seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. you know, it just it has the cultural impact. You know, it's definitely, you know, hit at the box office for sure, you know, as we're intimating mm -hmm. now. And just, just, yeah, man, it's an expansive universe that keeps expanding. Although now I'm wondering... And in some ways, I wonder if the, the character of Ray is just meant to keep that that and Kylo Ren, if those characters are meant to keep that strain of the Skywalkers alive. So that way the series can still say, ah, 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 we still got some Skywalkers in here. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Like this, 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 right. this still talking about Star Wars. So we ain't never going to get rid of them Skywalkers now. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. case, yes, I would argue that Star Wars, be it for better or for worse, good or ill, to me, seems like the greatest franchise ever. I, I would say so as well, you know, in terms of the amount of films, A, the box office gross, 
uh, the merch is incredible. Oh yeah, everywhere. everywhere. Like the the the, mer- the the merch, you know, dwarfs a Fast and Furious uh, by a long shot. Mission Impossible doesn't really have merch. No. Um, Toy Story, they've only done four of those, you know, uh, at this point. And I think also too, you know, when you talk about like theme park rides and amusement parks and um, offshoots in terms of, you know, what it's inspired outside of the film universe. I would say it probably is the greatest, uh, the greatest film and or movie franchise of all time. But I will give an honorable mention to Mission Impossible. Okay. Where in those films, like the first one started out just okay. Yeah. You know, the first one that De Palma did, it was fine, yeah, you know, yeah. with him and John Voight, you know. Um, but the last two Mission Impossible films have been the best of the franchise. So it's actually gotten better hmm. as it has gone on. Probably, you know, uh, you know, all credit due to Macquarie as, you know, as, as one of the creative, the creative, uh, the creatives behind the scenes, you know, behind the camera and behind the, uh, the keyboard. In terms of crafting the story and then bringing the story to, to life on on film, I mean, literally, it is unquestionable that you know people say, yeah, the last two Fallout and um, I guess it's Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation, yeah. Uh, or I think it's Rogue Nation. I think it's is it? I think it's Rogue Nation and Fallout, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. That those are the, those are the best movies of the Mission Impossible series. So now, do you feel like that's because like there has to be some element of consistency, um, and it's not just Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, you know, in the role, killing himself right. literally almost to get these box yes. office numbers yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, do you think because of the consistency now that you have in place on uh, Christopher McQuarrie behind the scenes, both writing and directing, you know, that it's bringing some type of um, consistency to it, so that Okay, now it's starting to feel like not only a franchise, but there's some continuity being established too, you know, because the franchise does need that consistency and that continuity, you know. I I, I suspect so. I think also, I think it's that. I think it's, uh, although I think Brad Bird wrote and directed, uh, co wrote and directed uh, uh, Ghost Protocol uh, when he did it. Um, But. but I think you're probably right. I think also too there is a case to be made probably that there's some kind of a thing of like the you know the the muse and the uh, and the artist where you know uh, Cruz started working with Macquarie on Valkyrie because I think Macquarie wrote Valkyrie. Ah, okay, okay. And that's where they that's where they linked up, and then he found a good creative collaborator, and you know where someone who spoke his language, you know they you know they they look for the same things in terms of story points and plot points story beats and just had a good collaboration and that has just been you know two chemicals coming together and making a greater third chemical by their mixing i think that's kind of what's what's what has happened uh with 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 that particular with this particular series hmm can i mention one last thing before we go and you just made me think of it with that um it's not quite a franchise per se but speaking of creators and, you know, making a good team like that, you know, I was rereading a book on uh, Die Hard, which is another franchise that we didn't mention, but that franchise kind of mm-hmm. went to shit after number three. But anyway, right. <laughs> but anyway, I was reading a book <laughs> on the history of Die Hard, the Die Hard films, and, you know, uh, Joel Silver, not only with Die Hard, but other action-oriented movies that he's been involved with as far as a producer and so forth, they all kind of have that Joel Silver feel, almost as if there is a silver verse, almost. And Mm. that is kind of due to the fact that if you look at all of those movies, the screenplay comes down to one person, Stephen D'Souza, you know? And Mm. in the book, it mentioned that, you know, Joel Silver's M.O. for a long time throughout the 80s was... He would get the screenplay in for a particular movie, right? And somebody would have to pull the original writer aside and say, hey, look, I, I, I don't quite know how to tell you this, but the way it works around here is that Joel Silver is going to buy your script, but he's going to fire you and he's going to bring in Stephen D'Souza. I just want to tell mm-hmm. I just want to let you know. And ostensibly, mm-hmm. that's what would happen. 
every single time because Joel Silver trusted D'Souza so much that he knew that he was going to get the product that he wanted out of any film that he produced if he brought D'Souza in to write it. So there's a consistency. That's why a lot of those Joel Silver movies in the 80s kind of feel and have that same, you know, the characters kind of sound the same. The situations are very familiar because it's mm, one man mm, writing mm. it and, and Silver and D'Souza kind of formed a, a, a kinship creatively to make those movies mm -hmm. come about. So your, your point is well taken. Okay. All right. Well, maybe that's that might be it then, because uh, D'Souza wrote. I think I remember seeing him in the behind the scenes talking about Die Hard. He wrote Die Hard, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, it started off with yeah, Jeb Stewart, yeah. and then Silver said, "Ah, right, thanks, Jeb, but uh, D'Souza got it from right here." And D'Souza came in <laughs> <laughs> and, and, added, and added some stuff to it, and it made it feel like a Joel Silver movie, but expanding upon what Jeb Stewart had written. You know what I'm saying? But D'Souza mm -hmm. is the secret sauce, if you will. If it was McDonald's. He would be the secret sauce that went on the Big Mac. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. <laughs> That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.